thank you so much, Nancy, for being with me today on the Wave Capital's guest speaker series on relationship building in a team environment. You're my 29th guest. So happy for you to join me here today. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. And it's great that we have some mutual connections who have also been guests uh, on my podcast. Nancy, when you think of relationship building in a team environment, how would you define relationship building in your own words? A relationship is what it is. You have to know a little bit about the people that you're around. And it was always important to me uh, to understand my teammates. Who are you? Tell me a little bit about you. What makes you happy? What makes you sad? Can you catch a bounce pass or not? Uh, would you like the ball up high? Would you like the, the ball down low? It's all life, love, work, sports. It's all about communication. And even when I was coaching with the Kings, I mean, I would literally, when we were in stretching lines, I would walk next to DeMarcus or Rondo or Rudy Gay or, you know, Bellinelli, Marco Bellinelli. And I would just ask them questions. How are you doing? What's going on? You know, how's your wife? How's your baby mama? How's grandma? Just talk to me. I want you to know that I, I care. Um, same thing in the big three. I mean, I have exceptional, you know, men you know, um, especially Katino Mobley, who's an amazing man, a great father, uh, you know, the depth of who he is. I, I want to know him. That's why I, I went to his house uh, one year. Uh, he cooked dinner. I did slip and slide with his daughter, Sam. He face painted and I slept in a, a, a room with a, a pink unicorn. <laughs> First time I've said that on <laughs> any type of media. But I wanted to get to know who this young young guy was who, you know, is so phenomenal on the court. But he's, uh, you know, he's both. But the only way I, I found out was to inquire. Absolutely. And it's great that you speak so highly of the players that you've coached. And I, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, you are the second female coach in NBA history for the Sacramento Kings and, you know, WNBA icon, Basketball Hall of Fame, Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, Olympic gold medalist. Talk to me about, you know, your career and how you started. And when did you know that you wanted to get into basketball and even in a coaching capacity? And I'm sure relationship building was instilled very early on from your mentors. Well, for, you know, everybody has has their moment of truth. You know, I started playing at seven, six, seven years old. I was playing football, sandlot football. Then uh, I started playing PAL baseball. And, you know, we got to a point at PAL where they would not insure me because I was a girl. And this that was the first time I had ever encountered, I guess, discrimination because I didn't know what it was at nine years old. But I was really sad because I knew the guys that I was playing with. Once we took off the t-shirt that said PAL, I would be playing with those same guys and I'd be the starting shortstop and, and batting third. Or, and I, I couldn't understand why they wouldn't let me play. And so I marched to a YMCA in my neighborhood and I went in, I said, who runs the place? And this guy says, uh, well, I'm the director said, can I play basketball and can I play on the boys team? And he said, yeah. I said, I can play in a league here. He goes, yep. 
that's all I needed to know. And that changed my life. And from there, you know, I started playing, as, you know, besides streetball, I started going to Harlem, playing up at Rucker Park, playing all over the, the you know, the boroughs and Brooklyn and Queens and the Bronx. And guys, you know, kicked the crap out of me huh. and, you know, toughened me up. You know, the no, no crying in basketball role. But there's nothing like playing as a, a 12, 13, 14 year old at Rucker Park. It's especially a little white girl with red hair that they nicknamed Fire because uh, of my attitude. And all those years at Rucker, uh, the guys didn't uh, tolerate me. They celebrated me, protected me. And this last summer, uh, August 6th, I was inducted into the Rucker Park Hall of Fame. Wow. The greatest players in the history of the game. So that was very important to me. Congratulations. That must have been quite an honor. And how did you feel when you uh, were inducted? Well, you, you know, to have somebody say that they, you know, respect you or for the game at Rucker, for the people to say, you know, we want you to be part of our long um, and established history. We appreciate you. And it was very heartfelt. I mean, I have, you know, as I just said, I have a relationship started this with relationships and they knew I wasn't scared when I was 12 and I'm not scared today uh, matter of fact when I was filming uh, it just came out Showtime you know uh, Kevin Durant's uh, you know his company uh, with Rich Kleiman just uh, you know we had the premiere of um, point gods the greatest point guards in the history of New York City basketball right and they Included me in that, and I filmed my part at work. That's so exciting! It, it it was amazing, and you know to be there with this film crew, and then for people to be going, "Hey, Lady Magic, fire, welcome home!" It was. I mean, people around me were like, "They know you." I said, "Yep, they know me. They love me, and more importantly, I love them." So these are my people. So those are proud moments for me growing up because it set the stage for me then to play in the Olympics in high school. Mm -hmm. People said no um, to be, you know, a scholarship, uh, really the first female scholarship full ride at Old Dominion in 1976. Title IX came four years prior. I could have been on the sidelines like a lot of people who ate. You just missed it by four years of age. And, you know, everything just took off by the grace of God. It's amazing what the game has done for me. And here we are in 2022. And, you know, I coach in the big three. I have been fortunate enough to have friends throughout all sports. And I'm getting ready to, to do, you know, TV for the Oklahoma City Thunder, which will be, I think, my sixth or seventh year with them. So it's pretty cool. That is really cool. Um, when you think back to your college days and even competing in the Olympics, I mean, the horizon was, you know, so close to you. It, in hindsight, it was so close to you because you're an early pioneer and you were able to blaze trails as a female athlete and who has inspired over the many decades other young athletes, you know, female or being able to play 
the game of basketball or even overseas your influence you know influencing you know players overseas to play in the NBA or WNBA what were those early days like you know competing in the Olympics and the relationships that you built there and it was a pivotal time well I think sometimes you don't know what you don't know so you don't know you're poor you don't know you don't have you don't know that there's no scholarships. You don't realize there's no WNBA. You, you just kind of can either be a victim or a victor. And I chose the, the latter. I mean, I could have been involved in gang activity. I could have killed you. I could have killed me as a young person who had no father or no food or no heat or, you know, those were circumstances. And sports took me out of that and gave me something uh, to believe in, something positive to believe in. So my time, my energy, my mind, my passion went to sports. You don't know that sports is gonna change your life, but it changed my life. So, you know, you might call me an early pioneer, maybe that's what I am, or a trailblazer. That just means you've done things that people had not done before. So, you know, I wanted to be the greatest basketball player of all time, you know, because my hero, Muhammad Ali, was the GOAT. And I just did whatever Muhammad Ali kind of did because that was my reference at 10 years old. I want to be like him. It's amazing. And then you go to, you get to go to college and Old Dominion, you know, we went 125 and 15 in my four years and we won the NIT. We won two back-to-back -back national championships my, my junior and senior year. Uh, I think we were 100. 104 and six, my last three years. We were women's college basketball before Tennessee, UConn, Stanford, South Carolina. We, we set the standard because of our athletic director was so you know ahead of his time, Dr. Uh, Jim Jarrett. We were playing in front of you know 10,000 people, uh, you know, sellout crowds at different arenas or on college campuses. So Again, you don't think of yourself as a pioneer when you're in the thick of it. You're just, you know, like I played for my survival. I played to sort of reverse the negatives, the Nancy can't moment. Nancy can't do this, Nancy can't do that. And there were so many Nancy can't moments. I, I could fill a page. But when I met Mohana Ali in 1979 in December, that all went away because basically he knew I was full of crap. He knew I was broken. He knew I didn't love me. He knew I was hiding behind being Nancy Lieberman, the basketball player. And I just became a professional at departmentalizing my pain or my hurt. And the day we met and we started talking, I, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't believe I was sitting there with Muhammad Ali the New York Stock Exchange. And he said, come back with my mom and my best friend, come back to the plaza. And we went back to, you know, his suite. He taught me about racism. He taught me about good faith. He taught me about, you know, great principles of life. You know, there's two people in this world, there's givers and there's takers. And I want you to be the giver. How to be an everyday champion. And the most important thing he said, he goes, Nancy, he went, God made you special. I'm like, you know God too? Oh my goodness, you know everybody. 
So at that point, he knew he better not leave me because I was out of control. And we swapped numbers. Uh, like I said, he taught me about racism and you know how black people feel and what makes them happy and what makes them sad. He he just was so so interpers you know introspective of so many different issues that I had never even thought about. And he just mentored me throughout my entire career, calling me when I was in college, helping me, you know, congratulating me in certain instances. Um, and it, you know, life is interesting because, you know, all those years later he gets Parkinson's and he's sick and, you know, Lani Ali allows me access and proximity to Muhammad for 20 years. Hey, Muhammad wants you to go to New York with us because he wants you to MC this event. Okay. Uh, Muhammad would love to see you. Okay. I mean, I was going to Phoenix all the time just to sit in the house and hold his hand and tell him how much I loved him and how much I appreciated him. And, uh, you know, he knew I was going to be coaching in the NBA before I was going to coach in the NBA. Like, how do you know? He just, he just knew. He was amazing. I am a reflection of Muhammad Ali. That's who I am. And that's beautiful that the way that, you know, you characterize yourself and that you've modeled your life. And he's a part of you just as much as you were a part of him. And may he rest in peace. And he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest sports icon. I mean, my idol is Michael Jordan. And I know they always put him and Babe Ruth and Muhammad Ali in the same category. And I was blessed to have met Michael Jordan in 2005 and to spend a few days with him. There was in a golf tournament. And it was, it was, it was just for a 17-year-old to be able to meet people like Michael Jordan or Carmelo Anthony or Alonzo Mourning or Larry Fitzgerald, you know, just big time players in their sports. I mean, just the impact. And, but not to the extent of an athlete, you know, impacting your life because I mean, you've dedicated your life to sports and to have the, the respect and to have the, uh, ability to influence the way he thought about you and he knew before you did how special and how great you were going to become and that's amazing that you and him had that special bond I'm sure that you cherish and you will cherish for the rest of your life absolutely and, and really some of the guys that you mentioned obviously I know of Babe Ruth did not know him but Carmelo Anthony is amazing Larry Fitzgerald is a friend. Um, I because both those guys uh, have high levels of respect for women, and uh, <clears throat> they they celebrate us. I know Larry's been amazing with my son TJ. When TJ was there at Richmond. One day I see a picture on social media, and I'm like, TJ, that's Larry. He goes, Yeah, Larry's here. I go, Larry's where? He flew to Richmond to see me. I'm like, Wait a minute, Larry flew to Richmond to spend the day with you? He goes, yeah. We went to get something to eat. We went in the gym. We worked. I was like, okay, enough said. With Larry Fitzgerald. He's a great daddy. He's an incredible human being. He's a Hall of Fame football player. And it's 
great to talk about Larry because when I met him, I think he was only in his second year in the league as an Arizona Cardinal. And even then, he had that presence that very few athletes have, and you knew that he was going to be very, very special. And to see how his career has blossomed, and you know, he just recently retired in the last year or so, but you know, he's one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. But it's the humbling nature about him, and you know, he made a promise to his mom that he would graduate from college, even even after she had passed, you know, and, and just a special uh, bond he had with his mom. And like you said, people like Carmel, people like Larry, they think so highly of women. Anyone who respects, anyone who respects his or her mom has, has great respect. And it, it's, it's the truth. And, it, you know, there are, matter of fact, when I was at the, the Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago, um, my hero growing up, uh, besides Ali, was Walt Frazier, which I wore for 10 my entire career. And because of him, whether it was the Olympics or college or at Rucker Park, it didn't matter. You know, and every once in a while, like once every couple of years, like I'll call Walt. And I, I did that about three months ago. And I said, Walt, it's Nancy. He goes, hey, girl, how you doing? I said, Walt just want to say something to you, my friend. And he goes, yeah, I go, thank you. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for giving me hope. You probably didn't know that you were influencing, you know, a little redheaded white Jewish kid girl when you were playing for the Knicks. And then because of how you carried yourself and I were able to see what you and Julius and Willis did, it gave me a roadmap of how I should be with with fans, with people, with sponsors, with anybody for that matter. Just be kind, just be humble, just give more than you take. And we had this conversation and then he got the Kurt Gowdy Award, actually first Hall of Famer to ever get, um, be inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame and then get the Gowdy Award, you know, for what he's done with TV, with the, the Knicks over the years. And just to be with him, fangirl, and take pictures with him. You know, people are taking pictures with all the Hall of Famers. I'm one of them. I'm one of the, the people who want to take pictures with, with Barkley. I want to take pictures with Julius. I want to take pictures with Jerry West or with Frazier. These guys are, and quite frankly, with Tamika Catchings and Lisa Leslie and so many of the other great women that are in the Hall of Fame. I think we go to enshrinement because we can't wait to see each other. That's just my take on it. You know, we all have this respect for one And that's special. That's special. And that's, it's like a reunion. It's it's definitely a fraternity or sorority, if you will, in those, in those terms, because you're a part of a special group of professionals and people who have achieved his or her sport at the highest level. And, highest levels rather and you mentioned Charles Barkley I had the privilege of meeting him and met Derek Jeter and just so many um athletes and professional athletes and you know it's just a joy speaking with you and getting your perspective because you know I even remember because I was such a big NBA fan in the 90s and I would watch a lot of WNBA games and just to see how the sport has evolved to what it is today. 
I definitely believe I'm a firm believer that, you know, women should be compensated the same way that men do. And I know that that hasn't been seen yet, but they have the same type of talent and they have the same type of skills and abilities. And I really do hope that the compensation that women get um, does equal out of the NBA, hopefully soon. Well, success is down the road uh, and we're seeing it right now. You know, this is what the 26th year or so of the, the WNBA. Uh, you're seeing salaries go up for coaches. Look at Becky. You know, Becky just got a million dollars. She probably won't get a raise now uh, from Martin Davis. But the fact that he would do that and not only bring her in the fold, but then pay her uh, to be the highest paid coach by far. And it's going to have a trickle down effect. And, you know, what Adam Silver has done with the WNBA and their collective bargaining. And I know things always have to have a progression and get better. But we're, we're in a good place right now. And there's a lot of value being paid to women. Uh, you know, as far as I know, you know, we're responsible for trillions of dollars in what people purchase, you know, what they put in their house, cars, what color. You know, women are the decision makers in their household on that. So we're being courted and we're being appreciated and we're having growth. Well, we have to have extraordinary growth is for my sisters of color. Um, African-American women make somewhere between, you know, 57 and 68 cents on the dollar. And that's not good enough. And we have to continue to push uh, for them to have equality, to have uh, equality in benefits and pay opportunity. And then when you give somebody an opportunity, you have to make sure you mentor them and don't say, well, you know, she didn't know how to do her job, so we had to let her go. Well, that's your failed leadership. You have to teach people what they don't know and, and show them how to be successful. And that's what, you know, great leadership as a coach, great leadership in business, you know, that's what it's about, you know, helping people grow and, and get to that next level. And, you know, when you, and the position that you're in, uh, and you see those, and you see those changes that that have been made, but you just feel like, you know, time can't move, you know, fast enough. Um, you know, talk about your relationship with Adam Silver, and do you see yourself? You, you've been in a coaching capacity. You talk about you just visited the Warriors. You're going to be doing um, work with Oklahoma City Thunder. Talk about what your plans are and how you um, are involved with the current teams. Uh, it, you know, it's a little bit of a different path for me. Let me first say that I commend the NBA for, for hiring. Coach Pop just hired, you know, Candace Dupree, some of these younger players mm -hmm. uh, who have given their life uh, to the W are now getting rewarded with opportunities in either or. And I, I really admire that. And I think that's a great start. Uh, for me, it, everybody has a different path. Uh, my path is I left the Kings in 2017. My mom got sick and I had to make uh, a life choice. And, you know, at the time, only Becky and I were coaching. Right. I commend uh, Vlade Divac and Peja Stoyakovich for saying, Nancy, go, you got to be with your mom. 
knowing that, you know, I might never get another opportunity to coach in the league. I mean, there's talented men, uber talented men who are lifers like myself to this game. And then there's this influx of young women going into the league. So it's very competitive, but, you know, God willing, you know, I'll get another opportunity or somebody might have some interest uh, in, in either league. And, you know, I, I, I work for Ice Cube in the big three and, you know, power has been to, you know, the playoffs for, you know, for three of the, the four years that I've been coaching and the playoffs, you know, three years. So, you know, we worked really hard and won a championship, but that's because of our players. We had exceptional players in this league. And team powers had great players. Um, coaches, you know, coaches coach with players to determine probability and outcome. And somebody said to me once, nobody's ever won the Kentucky Derby riding a donkey. Right. Right. So you got to have great <clears throat> thoroughbreds. And I've been blessed with, with thoroughbreds, whether it's the Texas Legends of the G League, whether it was the Detroit Shock, you know, who is now the Dallas Wings whether it's, uh, you know, the people that have played our players in, in, uh, in G League or the big three. You know, there's been so many great guys and gals that I've had the opportunity to, to be on the court with. So it's been fun. If I get that opportunity, you know, my, my mom passed away about <clears throat> four months ago. And I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. Um, and I think it's it, it would be... It'd be I stepped away from mom and, and now mom's not here and I have the time, the energy uh, to, you know, try and pursue, you know, getting back into the league at some point. And we'll just see, you know, God's will, right? Right. It's, if I'm supposed to be coaching in the NBA or the WNBA, it's going to happen. If I'm not supposed to, I, I don't sweat it. You know, I'm a more of a minimalist. <laughs> you know, this is what I do. This is why I do it. These are the results. I am a good person and I do my work, maybe there'll be good results, but it doesn't mean that I would be mad or angry or at anybody. I'm just happy that there are more women and more opportunities. And, and quite frankly, I'm for guys also. It's, you know, that's just the way it is. I'm for qualified people. Well, the wonderful irony is that if you consider yourself a minimalist, you're someone who has also achieved life to the maximum with all your with all the accolades and, and all the wonderful things that people have said about you and so many people who have touched your life and the lives that you've touched and you know I'm confident and I'm sure you have a lot of confidence that you will find what you're looking for and it's going to happen when at least when you least expect it and it's going to be perfect it's going to be perfect for you and, and you're gonna feel a great sense of gratification. Well, I do every day, you know, um, Garrett, I, I wake up happy. I wake up inspired. There's gonna be somebody, it could be somebody on social media who I don't know, who's like, oh my gosh, you know, I really admire. And I'll just, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you talked to me. But, you know, I do that. I'll take five or 10 people a day that have, I don't know. And I'll just say, hi, good morning. How are you? And they're blown away that somebody would say something nice to them. Like, 
sometimes they think you're untouchable, but we're all human beings. You know, at the end of the day, I'm also a mom and I care about people and I'm a community person. I just happen to have a, a high profile job. The Thunder has been amazing to me. I'm very thankful to Sam, Sam Presti, uh, Dan Mahoney, everybody um, at Valley Sports. Uh, you know, the same thing. I mean, how many people could say their boss is Ice Cube? And I, I just uber respect him as an icon, as someone who, again, celebrates me, doesn't uh, tolerate me. He, he's just, he's a great dad. He's a great husband. He's super, super cool to work with. And that's what you want in life. You want the ability to work for people that allow you to have a voice. Um, it's okay. Everybody has bosses. It's, it's not a negative if you have a boss. I have a lot of bosses in this world. And again, if, if the NBA or WNBA, if that opens up to me, you know, that will be just another blessing in my life. And, you know, but I also enjoy what I do, raising money for charity and through Nancy Lehman Enterprise, uh, Nancy Lehman Charities. And, you know, we've given, you know, over $8 million to the underserved. I mean, I'm talking cold, hard cash like sending kids, uh, high school seniors to college. We've sent 90 um, to HBCUs, to other colleges. Uh, we don't lose track of these, these young people. Uh, the dream courts that we build, you know, we have 115 dream courts. We have over 5 million kids a year on our dream courts. And then, you know, people say I inspire them. I'm not worried about that. These kids inspire me because people let me into their homes and let me into their communities. And it means a lot to me that people trust me and I love it. And we want to change kids' lives. We want to change them, you know, educationally, academically. We want to give them the tools that they need to be successful. That makes me happy. And, you know, it's even some of the people that I work with, you know, Pfizer and, and as a, a global ambassador for, Pepsi, the fact that these companies are wanting to help the underserved community and wanting to, you know, uh, NILs and equality and inclusion and just, just help people who need, you know, need help. And that's what we do. That's what my life is every day, right? Don't give a man a fish, teach a man a fish. And, you know, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. You, you, you give, you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. You want to teach people how to be great. And that what Kobe did, and that the, the, the Mamba mentality is to have that thought process. You know, you have to see it. You have to say it to be it. I had to see myself being on the Olympic team in high school. It had never been done before. Every day, I'd look at the roster. I'd look at a picture. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. This is what I do. I'm going to be on that Olympic team. I don't care what they say. And, you know, you can't feel prey people who think with mediocrity you have to have a vision you have to have intentional greatness every day and it starts with your mind and that's how it's always been for me it's always been my mind and my the only difference between a good day and a bad day is your attitude and belief my belief system is high and that's what i want to i want to share with other people absolutely and belief and trust and credibility and you know you're such a good person and in 
people see that and people see how genuine you are and you know where you came from and you lived through all those struggles and those obstacles and those challenges and then you became a tougher person for it and that's the great thing about life it is a wonderful teacher it's the best teacher life is the best teacher and there's going to be highs and lows positives and negatives you know michael jordan always said you know there's positives and there are negatives but you can always turn a negative into a positive you know everything should always result in a positive and i know others believe that too and i know that you had a great relationship with kobe bryant and we have you know about five minutes left maybe you want to share some thoughts about uh the mom since you you mentioned well he was um he was very special he was very kind to me and um very protective of me in in so many instances whether it was my first game we were playing the lakers in vegas I was going back to the locker room. You know, you have a schedule of who your player is that you warm up on. This is just how it is on every team. So I went out to warm up. It, it could have been Omri Caspi. I'm running back to the locker room. And this young man by the curtain goes, lady, you can't go back there. It's only for the players and coaches. I said, well, I, I'm one of the coaches. And he went, ma'am, it's, it's for the coaches. I said, I am one of the, look at me. I've got Sacramento t-shirt. I've got Sacramento shorts. He goes, do you have a pass? And I said, yes, I'm wearing my pass. And he, he wasn't going to let me go back to the locker room. Just as I'm sitting there pleading my case to this young man, Kobe walks in. He goes, Nancy, what's wrong? And he gives me a hug and a kiss. And I go, he won't let me go to the locker room. And he looks at the guy and he goes, this is the coach, assistant coach of the Sacramento Kings. Young man, there's going to be people in life that don't look the way you think they should look. The young man was African-American and he's telling this young man, hey, stop profiling her. Don't you hate when people profile you? And so I, I go in, I walk with Kobe and he goes, man, doesn't that suck? that people are, are doing, I go, he's young. And, but Kobe was such a great teacher and that was a teachable moment for this young guy. So I was coming back out and the guy goes, coach, I'm really apologize. I, I, I'm sorry, I Googled you and I, will you accept my apology? And I said, of course I will. And he just said, I didn't know there, the NBA allowed women to coach. And I go, yeah, they do. There's only two of us, but it's a start. So that was a Kobe moment. Then when I played in the WNBA at 50, um, I went back on that Monday to my original job. I was doing ESPN. And uh, we get a, out, out of some interviews with uh, Phil Jackson. And I'm going down the hall and Kobe goes, Nancy. I go, yes, sir. He goes, I need you five, 10, 15 minutes. I'm like, of course. We sit down in a side room. He goes, Vanessa, Natalia, myself, we watched you play Saturday. And he goes, I have some questions. And I felt like well, I was in the think tank. How do you feel? How do you train? What hurt? And why did you come back? Why would you play at 50 years old? What was your mentality like? I mean, and I go, Copes, you, <laughs> you are the MVP of the NBA. You just wanted another championship. 
and you're asking a 50 year old white woman why I did what I did. I said, because I respect the game. I trained hard and I wanted to see if I could do it. I wanted to, to challenge myself. Well, what about your legacy? And I said, Kobe, my legacy is never going to be diminished. I did what I did. The fact that I took this on to see if I could. And he's like, oh my gosh, you're the mama mamba. I said, yes, I am. I am the mama mamba. And every time we would see each other or talk to each other at the U.S. Open and, uh, you know, September before he died and two nights before he died, you know, I have the text messages where, you know, Pope is just talking to me and I'm looking at the messages now. I said, Kobe, can we talk about, you know, men playing against women or women playing in the NBA? And he goes, yes. I said, when? He goes, now. And I'm like, okay. And so I, we start texting and I can't read you what he said because it's, sure. I mean, he used some uh, choice words, but he was amazing. And he just said, look, women, you know, some women could serve up some, you know, weekend, you know, Joe warriors. They just don't, you know, are disrespected. And so we started, long story short, we were texting for almost an hour. He always found time, which is really amazing. He was never in a rush. And then I found out he was never in a rush with like 2,000 other people. So I thought I was really special. And I'm like, how do you know Messi? How do you know Ronaldo? How do you, he had this incredible ability to reach out, not be in a hurry, hear you, mentor you, talk with you. It was really special. So one of the amazing things about Kobe is that, you know, he just had so much outreach to people all over the world, but he made you feel special. He was never short on time or energy for you, whether it was at the U.S. Open, he was flipping the coin on Monday, um, you know, to start the matches. And I was flipping the coin on Tuesday at the U.S. Open to start the matches. And I called him, I said, are you here? He goes, yeah, I'm hitting balls. I'm like, really? And he goes, yes. Um, and then I said, well, I'm flipping the coin tomorrow. What'd you do? And he goes, well, you go to center court, you know, you flip it. I go, Kobe, I'm going behind the back with the coin. <laughs> and he goes, of course you are, Nancy. Uh, you're just trying to outdo me. Uh, then a few days later, crazy, you know, I had done the ESPN body issue. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that uh, cover. And I never told, obviously, I never told anybody until it came out. And so I went from the U.S. Open. It came out on a Wednesday, Thursday morning, Wednesday in the middle of the night, Thursday morning. Then I had to go to Hall of Fame enshrinement. And Kobe said, he texted me, he goes, and you weren't going to tell me about this? I said, no. I said, you know, it was hard enough to get the, the okay from my son, TJ, to do it. And... You know, we just talked about everything. We talked about life. He talked about Vanessa. He talked about his children, Gigi. He was just really, really special. And then for him to, you know, invite me uh, to come coach Gigi's team the following week was uh, pretty going to be pretty special for me. 
So I talked to him the night before he died. He called, he goes, okay, chop, chop, let's get this worked out. Uh, I said, I have TV Monday, Tuesday, I have off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I have TV. He goes, fine, Wednesday, you'll fly, you'll Uber to the house, grab some food, then we'll, you know, helicopter uh, to the Mamba Academy. You have as long as you want with Gigi. And I said, thanks. And he goes, and if you need me, I'll be there. And I was like, duh, yeah, I'll need you. I want you to be on the court with me. So I never told my son, I talked to, to Kobe on Saturday because um, he was leaving with uh, his team. He was landing in uh, Italy on Sunday morning. I'm at a conference. I swear to God, my phone was on vibrate because I didn't want to bother people in the conference. And I always sit in the last row because I have the attention span of a fly and I just get up and I need to move around. I don't want to bother people. So long story short, my phone rings and it's on and I grab my purse and I run out and I go, hello. And he goes, mom. And I go, TJ, he goes, mother, you could hear in his voice. I go, babe, what's wrong? He goes, mom, you haven't heard. I said, hear what? He goes, mom, Kobe Bryant died. I go, no, he didn't. I talked to him last night. He goes, mom, his helicopter crashed. And I thought you were on the helicopter. So if my phone is really on vibrate for the next hour, then my kid thinks potentially I died. It wasn't supposed to be on vibrate is my point. Right. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. A secret service guy literally grabbed me before I hit the ground and, and took me into a side room. It was just too much. It was just too much, too close, too soon uh, for a lot of people. But for myself, I, I couldn't breathe. I didn't know if they were going to take me to a hospital, uh, if I was going to get on a plane and go to Dallas, but I couldn't. I was just... I was like everybody else. I was so overwhelmed with disbelief and grief. And um, it's hard. It's hard. And, you know, doing these dream courts for Vanessa that we've done, the three courts for, for Kobe and Gigi, one in Anaheim and two in the Lower Marion, PA, meant so much to me to be able to say, here, this is for your family. This is for, you know, their legacy. And I would do anything for Vanessa Bryant. She is one of the strongest, most amazing women that I've ever seen in my life. Um, I don't even know if she's had a chance to grieve. She's been such a great mother and trying to keep Cobe's legacy and Gigi's legacy and, and be a good mom to two babies and, and you know, Natalia. I don't know how she, she does it, but she's, she's remarkable. And do you talk to her often? Uh, I will text her. Uh, she's so kind about getting right back. Like something will happen and I'll text her. And I was like, hey, I was thinking about you. I love you. Um, you know, you're amazing. So yeah, she's a friend. She's a friend. I, I don't want to bother her, but I do want her to know that I'm there. And it could be a heart. It could be... Hey, I love you. It could be, uh, what are you up to? Where are you? But then all I have to do is go to social media and creep <laughs> and see what she's doing. But she's remarkable. 
and you know you talk about what it felt like when you got the news and how devastating it was for a lot of people fans coaches former teammates friends like, like you and you know then you think about your relationship with mom and ali and and how that's you know a different time in your life and you know his passing wasn't wasn't easy either but it was you know something that people were going to predict because of his his ailments but it's just the way that kobe passed it was so traumatic and it was so sudden and definitely there's a void in the world not just the nba and you know not just the basketball community but the world because you know he had the same type of platform or i mean the magnitude of that platform like michael jordan like muhammad ali and you just pray for vanessa and, and her family for what they're going through and it's people like you who makes it a little bit easier for someone like vanessa because it's your strength and what you've gone through that she needs to surround herself with people like you who have so much strength to give and love thank you but she's got a great support group you know she's such a rock and you know one of the things that i really wanted to do with you know i had known kobe so well and i really didn't know vanessa at all you know we had said hi um but i didn't know her but what i wanted to do is get to know her on my trip and get to see the mom she is the support system um that would have been, meant the world to me uh i didn't know i would meet her in tragedy but she's she's really very special and we're all learning a lot in a crazy way from her absolutely you know before we depart from our interview you had mentioned you know del harris larry harris del being a part of the texas legends you know some of my guests who know you personally i wanted to on a more positive note you know talk to me about your relationship with the harrises and you just came back from your warriors trip and then i wanted to ask you you know any final thoughts that you would like to give the guests who are going to be listening to this podcast on youtube and apple podcasts well the harris family is pretty amazing i mean when you have you know somebody like del harris uh, and del uh, has been in my life for over 30 some odd years and then his his beautiful wife ann and you know he's a a, a tremendous dad uh, to his kiddos and, and grandfather you know, Dell's iconic. He's where he be he belongs. He belongs in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, and that was really important to me. And I know to to George Raveling and to Coach, you know, uh, Coach Cal, and, and a lot of people who love him and admire him. Uh, he's been a great resource to me. I mean, when you say one of your dear friends is an encyclopedia of basketball and life and Beyond that, his faith is, you know, unshakable. He, to be there on that stage, for him to ask me and Cal, and even though George Raveling couldn't be there and Sidney Moncrief was, uh, for us to enshrine him. I mean, it, it gives you chills to think that he would ask, you know, you to be there on that stage with him. I'm just really proud of him. 
he's done so many great things. People so admire Del Harris and, you know, Larry uh, knows the game like none other. He's been a very important part, you know, uh, you know, with, I'm sure his, his friend, you know, Bob Myers, just to be able to build the culture that the, the, you know, warriors have right now. There's something special going on there in, in the Bay Area. There is. Because yes. from, from Joe Lakeham, you know, the ownership to the, the, the coaching staff, you know, I'm very thankful that Steve Kerr allowed me to come in to see Ron Adams, to see Bob, and to see, I mean, Michael Thompson, who played for me in, in, in the big three. Uh, yeah. or, but to see Steph or to see, you know, Draymond or, you know, some of the guys like Clay Thompson or some of the rookies. You know, Pat Spencer's there. He played with the Go-Go last year uh, and was my son's teammate. So there's so many connections. This web yeah. is so powerful in the name of sports. And for me to be up there, um, allowed to be up there, meant a lot. That's awesome. That's really special. And there's another lady who I've interviewed on my podcast, Kim Stone, who was a former general manager of the Chase Center, and she got to work with some of the people that you speak of. And a big person in her life is Pat Riley, working for the Miami Heat for many, many years. And now she's helping the UBS where the New York Islanders play up in, up in Long Island. You know, she's was an executive VP for, for the Miami Heat and has served in a lot of different capacities. But even she has a connection with the the Golden State Warriors. So you talk about that. Man. That's what's wonderful about the podcast is that bringing people like yourself or Tim Stone or Larry Harris or Adele Harris and just others who um, are part of a basketball, you know, fraternity sorority, if you will. And I love the overlap. And I and, and that's what relationship building is all about too. You can do it in your professional life and as well as your personal life with your family. But also it's it's wonderful to make these with these connections. I know we hadn't had a chance to talk about your family as much. I mean, I know that you mentioned a little bit, you know, growing up and, and you mentioned your son and I want to be respectful of your time as, as we're on this podcast. You let me know how much time you have left, but um, what does your family mean to you? What have they meant to you? And, you know, for people who are inspired by it. I love being a mom. There's nothing greater in the world. I think it's the greatest blessing uh, that you can do is to be a dad or a mom. And I love, I, you know, I'm a boy mom and I'm proud of TJ and everything that he's accomplished in his young career. And, you know, uh, for him to uh, have gone to Richmond and to have shined under, you know, Chris Mooney there, or be the A-10 player of the year, his senior year, to go to Europe these last four or five years, to go to Israel to play for Halon, who he was there two years, or you know Galatasaray was his first you know team professionally in Turkey, and then to go back and, and to play you know for Maccabi Tel Aviv. I mean that's going to get higher than that in Israeli basketball. To you know uh, then last year the, the Wizards had him play um, in the G League. He loved playing with those guys, and then to play for me in the Big Three. So it was, it's, it's pretty cool uh, for that to happen. You know, it's highly unusual. I think it's historic. You know, mom has to be at that level and son has to be at that level. And it, it was just incredible 
um, for us, but I'm really proud of him. I, I'm proud of what he's done, how he conducts himself. He's an under the radar kind of guy. He's not looking for a lot of attention. He's a great teammate and he just cares about people. He wants to impact the world uh, any, any way he can and he does it. He's great with children. He's great with old people. He's, he's all about you know, equality, inclusion and, and diversity. That's what his life is all about. That's what he's been around and that's what he's been taught just to love and be kind. And you know, the greatest religion of all is loving kindness. That's what Ali taught me when I was 19. It comes full circle, you know, being able to raise your son and see him blossom and become the model citizen that he is. And I'm sure it's made you a very proud mom. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, it doesn't really matter what you've done in your life once you become a parent. Uh, you want to be this, you want to be that, you want the status. And then when your kid does something, it, it supersedes everything. It's, it's about that other person. And it's, it's good. It humbles you. It, it makes you a better person because you can't be selfish anymore. To be great at something, you have to be selfish. You have to give up some other areas. And some could be time or relationships. or And then, you know, you, you have a kid and if they cry, if they're hungry, if they need a ride, if they're sick, you do what you do for your family. And the greatest thing, the greatest blessing I've ever had is to be a mother. Well, that's excellent. And I'm so happy to hear that, what it's meant to you of all the titles that you've had or all the positions that you've had to assume as a, a player, a coach, a student, you know, a family member, you know, a friend, but to be, a mother and my wife and I are going to be having our first child, our due dates November 18th. So my wife and I are, you know, excited to be watching these podcast episodes and she's, you know, she's cheering me on with all these interviews. And, uh, you know, when I become a parent uh, officially in, in six weeks, I look forward to many more conversations. I can tell you what my experiences are and perhaps your words of wisdom. Um, I know it will be very helpful. Well, congratulations. It's going to be exciting. It's a whole new chapter. You're going to love it. And you two will be great parents. So just, you know, I, I hope your baby is healthy, uh, happy, and will be in a great home. And, and thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you very much, Nancy. I, I really appreciate um, yeah. your time. And I really appreciate you being on this podcast. And I wish you all the best. And I look forward to staying in touch and uh, keeping you posted about all my career developments. And I'm so excited to see what the future has in store for you. Appreciate it. And again, uh, God bless you with the baby. Thank you so much. And God bless to you and your family. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you. Bye.